RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 346, Crossfire. Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we explore the morals, meanings, messages, and even the unrequited love contained within each and every episode of Star Trek. This week, Crossfire, the one where Odo and Worf team up to thwart an assassination attempt on the Bajoran First Minister's life. And, uh, yeah, that's it. That's, uh, that's the whole thing. Uh, that's all it's about. Uh, maybe something else in there about Odo's personal life, too. But before we return to dun, 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 Crossfire <laughs> and John's special breaking news trivia, we'd like to take a moment for station identification. If you'd like to contact us, please isolate your subspace carrier waves for the following contact frequencies. Mission Log Pod is where you can find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, please call us at 323 522 5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com, and our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Dun, 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 dun. Now, John, back to you. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. I remember those those early heady days of CNN. <laughs> Today, Crossfire. Trivia. Well, the episode was written by Rene Echeverria. Rene, of course, has had his hand in most of DS9 as a producer, a writer, and he was actually riffing off a pitch that Robert Hewitt Wolf had done quite a while before. Robert had the idea of Odo having to protect Kira, and that's how we learn about his feelings for her. Only they took another path. They did Heart of Stone in Season 3, in which the Kira trapped in a growing crystalline formation is actually a shapeshifter, but it gave us a deeper look into Odo's feelings. Now, Rene also had the idea of closing this bottle show with an explosion, and Odo would choose to save Shakar while keeping Kira in danger. It seemed too cruel in the end, and they decided against it, fortunately. This episode was directed by Les Landau. Of course, we remember Les, who, as an assistant director from the beginning of TNG, then was thrust into directing on the ill-fated Code of Honor. It was uphill since then, though. His 34 episodes of TNG were followed by 14 on DS9. We most recently covered Destiny that he directed, and he's got five more shows here before we'll catch up with him again on Voyager. Now, we do have a bit of stock footage in this episode, Shakar's ship is the same ship and the same docking sequence that we got in the all-time favorite. Here we go, Norman. Move along home. Mm-hmm. Also, oh, oh, uh, remember that plant that Kira gave to Odo when he got his new quarters? Yeah, that was way back with the Abandoned, uh, when Odo tried to be a father figure toward the Jim Hadar youth that they found. Yeah, that was really kind of her to bring a housewarming gift. Uh, That plant is in this episode, too. Uh, Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. May I make one small comment about Code of Honor? Oh, of course. Of course. I love how you noted that his career was uphill since Code of Honor. (laughs) And this has only inspired me to watch it again and to make some type of positive thread about it. I am challenging myself. Okay. Okay, very good. I I look forward to that. (laughs) I'm the only one who's accepting that challenge. I will do it for all of you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about guest stars. So helping out the First Minister of Bajor is Saresh Rez, played by Bruce Wright. 
Now, Bruce just has two Trek credits this episode, plus one more on Enterprise. He's not a household name, but I love his career. He appeared in no fewer than five episodes of the original Battlestar Galactica in small roles. Then he even had a guest spot on Buck Rogers in the 25th century. You add to that Incredible Hulk, Remington Steel, and more, and uh, this is like my dream career, pretty much. So good on you, Bruce. And then uh, finally, Duncan Rager is back as Shakar. Let's see, we met him way back on the episode called, oh, oh, what was it? Uh, Shakar. You can go back and hear all the details there about his career and really rather extraordinary life. You can't forget, of course, that he was Dracula in the cult classic Monster Squad, and don't forget that he was Charles on V, and you definitely cannot forget that he was Ronan in the TNG episode Sub Rosa. It's good to see him return here, and we will get one more run of him on DS9 in just one more episode. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in one too many space stations. Prologue. Eight in the morning on DS9, and like clockwork, Kira goes to Odo's office for a security update. He takes delight in it, though, serving up Ractogeno to his friend. Quark stops by, uninvited, of course, to complain about all the noise from Odo's quarters. All that shape-shifting at night keeps Quark awake. Funny, though, when Quark leaves, Odo tells Kira it wasn't luck at all that landed Odo's quarters right above the Ferengi bartender. Elsewhere on the station, the senior staff assembles to welcome Shakar. Remember Shakar? He was a resistance fighter and now the first minister. He's on board to continue negotiations with the Federation for Bajor's admittance, speeches, handshaking, political stuff. Odo has other concerns, though. He has intelligence that someone will attempt to assassinate Shakar. Act 1. Odo explains the threat to Shakar's adjunct. is from that pesky Cardassian group, The True Way. No matter, though, the First Minister is dead set on going ahead with his talks. He won't give in to the threat. Odo, therefore, will have to buckle down on security. That means his own team, with some help from Starfleet, and that means Worf. These two make a plan, keeping the First Minister's quarters clear of any neighbors and keeping a close eye on his team's movements. Shakar almost immediately throws Odo's plans off by announcing that he'd like to make an unscheduled stop by the temple before his scheduled reception. And yeah, the first minister walking around the promenade creates quite a stir, raising Odo's attention and suspicions. Finally, at the reception, Odo's got his eyes on everyone, while Kira just tries to have a good time. She makes small talk with Odo, mentioning that she thought he looked better when his uniform had a belt. So, to appease her and, well, get her attention, he shapeshifts into the same exact Odo in the same exact uniform, with a belt. It's better. Oh, but then Kira's attention is taken by Shakar. I mean, she's ready to get out of there, he's ready to get out of there. How about they go for a walk? Odo watches their banter. Quark watches Odo. Shakar says that he and Kira are going to go for a stroll, but Odo says he'll need to secure the route. Okay, Shakar says, but just him, and don't stay too close. Odo's crestfallen which doesn't go unnoticed by Quark. The walk Shakar and Kira take is just what you'd think. Fun, flirtatious, everything Odo didn't want to see. Act 2. The next day, when Shakar leaves the negotiations and goes back to his quarters, he and Odo have a chance to open up with each other a little. More precisely, Shakar opens up about his frustrations with the Federation, and then about his feelings for Kira. Odo does not open up about anything, and in fact, he says Kira definitely has not expressed feelings for Shakar. When the First Minister says he's falling in love with her and that he's afraid to say anything, Odo still plays dumb. It's difficult, and maybe Kira is still grieving over Vedic Barile. And furthermore, he doesn't know anything about humanoid relationships, so maybe don't do anything about it? 
Later, while Quark is preparing food for the next meeting, Odo finds a Ferengi eavesdropping device in the fruit arrangement. Quark claims it's for monitoring Rom's sleep and definitely not for listening in on the negotiations. Oh, and one other thing. Quark is perceptive enough to know that Odo is in love with Kira, and it's tearing him up inside to see her falling for Shakar. So that's out in the open. And Odo storms off, telling Quark to stay out of his business. Act 3, morning time after 8 a.m., Odo is waiting for Kira with the Ractagino for their usual meeting. She's late, she's distracted. She already had her morning cup with Shakar in his quarters, where he was asking her advice about his proposal to the Federation. And now she needs to go. She's giving Shakar a tour of the station. On that tour, Kira and Shakar are again followed by Odo at a polite distance. They stop at a porthole in a remote area where it's about as romantic as it can get, especially with a view of the wormhole. What should have been a kiss is interrupted because, you know... Odo is standing right there, trying to look like he's not standing right there. They move on. The three hop into a turbo lift, but soon Worf hails Odo to say there's a lift stuck on another deck, so he'll have to reroute them manually. Of course, Odo does just have to wait for Worf's security code to do that, only Odo doesn't wait because he's distracted by Kira and Shakar playfully talking about where to have dinner tonight. Then suddenly the lift starts a freefall. Act 4. Communications aren't working. Controls aren't responding. With the lift falling out of control, Odo shapeshifts his hands into some kind of metal thing to force the lift's walls to bulge, stopping the lift from crashing and killing them all. The assassin that Odo had been concerned about somehow patched into the communications system, faked Worf's voice, and sent the turbo lift flying. Captain Sisko asked Odo how all that could have happened and how someone could have gotten Worf's security code. At least with that last part, nobody did. Odo admits he was distracted and didn't wait for the code. That's the kind of mistake that Odo simply doesn't make. But he did this time, telling Sisko it was a personal matter and it won't happen again. His mission now is to find who set this up. Relying on some help from Worf, well, Odo is still distracted. The two argue about investigation style until Odo decides to leave and go see Kira. Great timing, too. He drops by Kira's quarters at night to find security guards. They're there because Shakar is inside. He's been there for hours since he finished dinner. Okay, then. Odo will now maintain watch, and he does, until morning. Emerging from Kira's quarters, Shakara will go back to his to freshen up before the next round of meetings, leaving Odo the time to chat with Kira about... things. He's there to presumably talk about what happened in the turbo lift until he sees the empty bottle of champagne. The two glasses. Kira is giddy, surprised at herself even, for falling in love with someone who's a friend. Odo can barely hide as hurt when Kira says she's just so happy that he's the first one to know. He leaves, back to the security office where Worf has already cracked the case. He's got his man, a true-way operative who gained access to the station's systems. The next plan was to depressurize Shakar's quarters, but Worf traced the signal back to a cargo hold. Odo can't believe Worf took care of it already, and with Odo's own deputies, who Worf says should be commended. Humiliated, Odo returns to his quarters, smashing everything in sight. Act 5. With all the noise, Cork enters Odo's quarters. There he finds the constable sitting on the floor in a daze. He says Cork was right. He is in love with Kira, and he can't imagine how he could have fooled himself into thinking that she could love him. Quark says he doesn't care, though. Either tell her how he feels or forget about her. He's got to do something because this is eating into Quark's profits. Profits? Yeah. Quark has a pool going every time a crime is committed on the station about how long it takes Odo to catch the perp. 
Odo is that good at his job. People love it when there's a new mystery to be solved. It's almost like a pep talk for his friend. But of course, Quark is just looking out for business. Odo does what Quark has suggested, going right into Kira's quarters to say something important. He can't keep their morning meetings anymore. He's got training with his deputies, and he's got a very busy schedule. That's all. He's just being efficient. Kira notices he's not wearing a belt anymore either. He says he's just trying to keep to the essentials. Odo drops by Quark's later. When Quark sees Odo, he lets him know that Kira and Shakar are using the holosuite where he can practice his speech to the Federation. He also says that he dropped by the constable's quarters earlier, curious to find a work crew there adding soundproofing to the flooring. <laughs> Odo just says the floor needed to be reinforced. The soundproofing is just something that's happening and definitely not a friendly gesture that he requested at all. Kira and Shakar enter the bar area from the hollow suite, clearly happy, laughing, and Odo steps out into the promenade to get on with his day. The end. You know, John, I was doing some research on this episode, mm. and I found that there was one other alternate ending to this that was never really discussed. I found this mm. way back in Star Trek Communicator. Okay, what was that? And it, it turns out that they couldn't secure the rights for this scene, but from what the article said, mm -hmm. at the end of this episode, Odo transformed his hands into a what was an 80s-style boombox oh, and yeah. held it above his head right. and blared out an 80s song called In Your Eyes, mm. hopefully that Kira would hear it while she was in the hollow suite. But they were never able to make that happen. It was just over budget. Uh, well, that's a shame. I mean, that makes so much sense that that would happen. I mean, it, it, staying perfectly true to the, the theme of this episode. That See, that would have been ideal. I, I'm rather yeah. disappointed that we didn't get that ending. I mean, yeah. I, Odo was silent the whole time. I know Renee was probably dismayed that he didn't really have any lines of dialogue in that particular scene. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted him to, just to, to say anything, really. <laughs> during the course of that scene, just to say anything. Well done. Well done, Norman. Hey, uh, <laughs> nicely, nicely said. Um, look, there was, uh, there was a funny bit here. There's a lot of funny bits in this and fun things to talk about. Uh, in that opening moment, that, that morning ritual, the Tuesday meeting, Odo preparing mm -hmm. to see Kira in his office. And it's cute and sweet. And he, he knows, boy, he's just wait, waiting for the exact time. He's got that cup of Rectogeno replicated. And then I love the bit where he then turns himself in his chair away from the door to make it look like he's not trying too hard. I love mm -hmm. that. The only thing missing is him spinning around the chair and saying, oh, I didn't see you there, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's just, oh, so good. Uh, but, yeah. and wow, that uh, that security report, I mean, uh, domestic violence followed by some public uh, uh, affection. I mean, people on DS9 definitely live differently than they do on the Enterprise. I couldn't imagine how Worf would have handled that situation. <laughs> what are you two doing? <laughs> right. Commander Riker. <laughs> <laughs> Always Commander Riker, and another one, right. and another and why one. Why are you in the hollow suite? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but you're so right, though. I mean, especially I love mm -hmm. the the bit where he puts the Ractogeno cup down, yeah. twists it, twists it again, and kind of like, mm, is this right? Is this right? Exactly what lifting angle will Kira be at so that I have exactly the level of comfort from when she sits to when she reaches to when she reaches for that handle to when she is at the comfort level of her to enjoy this warm Ractogeno. Right, right. I, I had a friend when I was, he was a few years older than me, so he really started dating before I did. And I remember that he he was that meticulous that he would even think about, okay, well, when I leave the house... Because um, he had just gotten a car, right? He's like, well, when I leave, um, I don't want the car the to be too hot. Ah, nicely done. <laughs> he was like, I don't want the car to be too hot, and I don't want to be sweaty, so I'm going to park the car in a position where when the sun comes up, it won't heat the car. So then I'll be 
fresh and cool, and then the car will be nice when I get to my day. I mean, and that was just one example of what what he would do that was that meticulous. Yeah, But it kind of goes to the whole thing with Odo about having order in every aspect of his life, even the way that he approaches someone who he wants to be romantically involved with. Like, everything has to be perfect. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Right, even the whole spinning around is like, oh, hi, Mark. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. And I think someone slipped something into my rack to Gino. Yeah, I think that is our, our first uh, The Room reference on uh, Mission Logs. So Thank well you very done. much. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and also in the opening, you know, that little banter with Bashir and O'Brien about the dress uniform showing off O'Brien's figure. It's a tiny moment. It's a throwaway line, but I really like it uh, because little character moments like these, they're always welcome. They always show them as real people, not just a job description, you know, and Star Trek sometimes has a tendency to do that where what you know of somebody is the job. And just when they're on the job, I I, I liked uh, that moment of levity before something important. I liked how how they made Dax out to be late again for yeah. another you know for another right. dress uniform ceremony ambassadorial thing. It's just that's that Curzon again, just yeah. not caring at all. Right. Um, you know, from a directorial thing though, I thought that was strange. Where so w- we see Bashir and the chief kind of talking about the dress uniform, like you said. Mm. And then they're off camera when, when the ambassador, when Shakar appears, and when he comes through the airlock with his uh, adjutant, no one's behind them. And then all of a sudden, Cisco says something, and then all of a sudden in the reaction shot, <laughs> like the chief and, and, and Bashir are right behind them. And then as soon as they leave the hallway, they're to the side of them. Right. It's almost like, like you say, there are contractual obligations of either lines of dialogue spoken or how many times these characters maybe appear on screen. And it's like, oh, we got to get these guys in the scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, and honestly, it could have been something like that. More likely, uh, when, you, when you shoot a, a scene, and particularly when you shoot a dialogue scene, um, and you're, you're doing all your coverage, so you get your wide master shot, and you go in and you get kind of a medium, and then you're going to get close-ups on the people who are talking, the people who are uh, the, the scene is about. And 99% of the time, you have to cheat out those shots. So mm-hmm. if you and I are, are standing in front of each other, talking to each other, well, it's not a great shot to have us in profiles and move the camera around a little bit, but then maybe the light isn't quite right on you. Maybe that piece of furniture behind you is distracting. So you're going to cheat it out. Like, no, no, just take a stu- few steps over. Now, now you take a few steps over and just keep cheating and cheating and cheating until the shot yeah. looks good, regardless <laughs> of right, how you right. were for the master, you know? Yeah. So it is so funny. They probably ended up changing that shot 10 times you'd end up with a position where it's like oh look now Bashir <laughs> and O'Brien are right behind him I guess we have to keep it that's the, the only shot we got yeah. your green screen right now was more convincing than the scale of where they were standing yeah. like yes. behind them it looks like they were literally like dropped in on a green screen yes. or some type of like digital like some type of post effect it was it was just weird oh, I'm I, like, you know, I love it I love it when stuff like yeah. that shows up <laughs> Oh, you know what? Yeah. Like, okay, so so you have, and I know this is Federation. So you have Cisco's in his command, uh, B- Burgundy, mm-hmm. and then you have um, the Chief in, in Ops Yellow, and then you have the Doctor and Dax in their Sciences Blue. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, it was weird to see uh, Kira, I guess, in not her standard orange, even in in uh, formal Bajoran attire. I thought that was just a little strange. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that uniform though. It, I it do know cool, it was it was but, fantastic um, looking on her too. Yeah, yeah, but a little strange. Uh, I agree with you to to not see her in what she would normally be in. Hey, there was uh, kind of a, a throwaway line about what was happening with Bajor. Uh, the price of transportation to Bajor will be reduced. Okay, but what what are they charging right now? <laughs> like that just seems very odd. And and I thought, well, you know, too bad that Bajor is too far away for a transporter, or you know, like all the runabouts that DS Nine has that are just heading off to the Gamma Quadrant whenever they feel like it. <laughs> You're just sitting there, like I, I wonder who's who's got the market on Bajoran transportation to and from DS Nine. And what are they charging for energy? 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't just, uh, the pleasure of our company on this leisurely cruise between DS9 and Bajor. I guess so. It's have just a wonder. It's a weird thing. And there's the whole, you know, post-scarcity society or universe that we're supposed to be living in. Well, then again, this, these are the Bajorans. I can't say that this is a Federation quirk. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. But there are Federation resources there, which, and obviously they're not running, you know, a bus service, but you would right. think that there is some at least lessening of maybe how difficult it is or how expensive it is to get to and from Bajor. It's a necessity at this point. Well, the Federation um, could always negotiate it in their talks to get Bajor on. It's like, hey, you know, we'll give you transporters so you don't have to charge your people. Yeah, for, right. For, you know, exactly. For, for travel plans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I do want to talk about, I mean, that conversation between Odo and Worf about keeping things just so and not let anyone drop by. That... That was just gold. Yeah. That that whole moment was just absolute gold. Yeah. I mean, like, after the scene from what it must have been Way of the Warrior, when they were kind of, like, butting heads about, you know, Worf not stick. No. Was it Way of the Warrior? Oh, uh, no, when no, Dax no. is uh, messing with Odo? Yeah, there was that one scene. Uh, I can't, yeah. yeah. When, when Odo and Worf butted heads about how, how Worf wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't paying a close enough attention to... Uh, some type of smuggler and, and oh oh right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, w- I know it yeah. wasn't way of the warrior it it, it yeah. actually may have even been rejoined but um yeah. you know it I, I like uh, now Odo and Worf kind of like finding this common ground of just like not wanting to be annoyed by anybody yes yeah you know? yeah totally oh and well of course we got to I uh, got to mention the food here uh, we got to say welcome back to our old friend Hasperat. Uh, I'm still going with like that being a spicy beef wrap. Of course, vegetarian option available as always. And also we have a reference to a Bolian restaurant. Too bad we didn't get to see that or get to see all that lovely aged meat. But i um, glad that uh, we got some, some new culinary reference in there for us. You know, I thought there, there were a couple of strange things from a changeling nitpicky standpoint that I brought up um, in okay. some of my remarks, especially when, when Kira, you know, she charmingly said, you know, you're, I, I really liked it when you had the belt on and he, yeah. and then he kind of generates the belt out of himself. Right? right. Yes. And then he tugs on his uniform to straighten himself out. I'm like, why are you tugging on it? Like, okay, <laughs> I, I know this is the thing. And I know the listeners are probably like, you know, just get on with it, Norm, really. But it just kind of bugs me <laughs> that he is literally, his, his mental discipline is keeping this form, this yeah. solid form of Odo intact. Every right. single aspect of this solid form, based on just his sheer willpower, should stay unwrinkled, unfettered, untucked in, trim. Straight, right, right. So why is he tugging on his uniform? I mean, technically, he should be perfect looking the entire time, right? Yeah, yeah. the The uniform will be perfectly fitted. The belt will be perfectly situated, and no matter not what. a hair out of place. I'm oh, just saying. Until you get to the end, <laughs> just I'm just saying that. I'm sorry, folks, but that bugged me to no end. That that was a controversial thing. Uh, there were people on the production staff who loved it. There were those who hated it, uh, but ultimately it just felt like it was symbolic enough to keep it. I so guess, I just, there you go. That's just there me. You you know. But you're not alone. No, no, no. You're not alone. You're not okay, alone. There, good, there were people good. who hated that. Hey, uh, uh, fun mission log thing uh, that we established a long time ago. How long does a turbo lift trip take? Well, it takes exactly as long as the scene of dialogue that necessitates it. In this case, how long does it take for a turbo lift to fall? Well, exactly as long as it takes to get the dialogue out and for Odo to shapeshift. So in this case, that's what they did. Although it was really funny to me how they have a security code to verify control of a turbo lift uh, that is falling, something that we've never heard before and likely will never hear again because it's convenient for this particular story, mm-hmm. which is always funny to me. It's like, you know, you and I have talked about when James Bond gets a gadget that is specifically for use in that one particular mission, and it just happens to be the right gadget for that mission. Exactly. You know? And in this case, like, that seems like the worst thing. An elevator is falling. Quick, uh, what's your Apple ID password? 
oh, 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 hang on. Oh, I, I changed it. I had to log back into the app store. I had to change my billing and crash. <laughs> you know, that, that is how that scene would play out. You know, what's my password? I don't know. I have to open up my app that has my passwords in it. Yeah, I have a password app. It's, acting, right. it's asking me for my password. You know, <laughs> I have an answer for the for the turbolift though, and it's very scientific. Okay, good, good. I spent a lot of time trying to do the math of this, and it turns out that it takes as long as it would take for Spock's rocket boots to decelerate mm. before he hits the ceiling in Star Trek Five. That's oh, that's great. Takes. Okay, all right. So uh, rocket boots carry the stock turbo lift uh, divided by password. Oh, we got it. There is a turbo lift formula in there somewhere. That's right. Yeah. So I know that the turbo lift scene notwithstanding, I know that they were going for a specific point about trying to reduce the amount of security, that the security entourage that was trailing the minister. And I don't know, like sometimes like in these episodes, you know, you, you think that this person is really important because of how much how much importance that they put on his security detail. And all of a sudden he's like, I think I'm going to go here. I think I'm going to go here. I think I'm going to go, you know, into the public. I'm going to shake hands. I'm going to basically put myself at every possible risk or put myself in harm's way because I'm just being obstinate. Right. It's like, you can't tell me what to do or how to act. I'm like, no, actually there is a protocol for, you know, who you are, what you should do and how you act. That's the reason why, you know, uh, you're that important, right? You know, right. You'll, you know, see the Pope like busting out of his, you know, his, uh, his Pope mobile, you know, just to <laughs> shake hands, you know, or whatever. I just, yeah. and, and you know what? They always blame security for, for what happens that something goes awry, but security's like, no, you know, we did everything right up until the point where he says, I don't need you guys anymore. I'm just going to do my whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and then exactly. pop, something happens, like a turbo lift falls. And then all of a right. sudden you're scrambling for Apple passwords and then all chaos ensues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, it's a mess. Hey, I uh, remember back in trivia, I mentioned the thing about that plant that Kira gave to Odo as a housewarming gift. Well, when Odo goes back to his quarters and starts smashing things, yeah, uh, that plant that Kira gave him and his bucket, just throwing that thing around too, I mean, uh, you really know that he was having it rough when he was taking it out on on those two precious objects. But hey, I have to ask, when Odo called up the work crew to come reinforce his floor, uh, did he clean up before they got there? Or or did he just open the door and he was like, uh, uh, sorry guys, I I don't know what happened in here, but put this stuff away before you work on the floor. I know. (laughs) That, That could have been weird, like... You realize why this happened. It's because this floor wasn't strong enough for this to not happen. And look, I blame you guys. Even my bucket in my plant, of which I hold dearly, you know, they smashed on the floor because my floor isn't reinforced. Now, do something about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange. Broken hearts and roller coaster emotions. Welcome to Deep Space 90210. Oh, do. We'll get back to dun 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 crossfire in a moment. But first, a word from ExpressVPN, giving you back your internet privacy. Appreciate the theme, Norman. Very well done. You know, we've talked about ExpressVPN a lot. We've talked about how easy it is to set up, how I'm glad to have it on all of my devices. And um, mostly I was concerned about that when I would travel and I'd go to use public Wi-Fi in different places. Well, now I find myself working from home a lot more, and I also find that my needs to do things online have greatly increased. And that's everything from bill paying to banking, checking on the necessities of my life. And boy, can I tell you, I'm glad to have that information protected by ExpressVPN. So ExpressVPN secures my internet browsing. It anonymizes everything that I do, hiding my public IP address. All of that is incredibly important to me, more so now than ever. And as I mentioned before, the Express part of VPN, ExpressVPN, is also important. It is fast, it is secure, and it was a cinch to set up. Now, protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and no matter where it is that I'm working, at home or away, 
ExpressVPN protects my connections and at speeds that impress me every time. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash mission log. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash mission log for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash mission log to learn more. And a big thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. So I think, you know, really the thing to talk about with this episode is clearly it's about Odo. It's about his character. It's about his reactions. And there's a part of me that has a great deal of sympathy. And there's a part of me that just wants him to be better. You know, Uh, the part of me that has sympathy is the part that realizes that he is emotionally stunted and, and he can't help it. He's he's actually very young in terms of uh, his his growth and development in this humanoid form and trying to navigate his life among other humanoids. All of that is a great area for exploration, particularly with a powerful emotion like love or even infatuation, as this is. And I know that I can relate to his story here uh, on a certain level. I mean, I, I've run out of fingers and toes to count the number of times that I've liked someone who then walked away with someone else, and, and you kind of had to stand there and take it to be the bigger person for a variety of reasons, you know? I do feel like this lacked an opportunity for growth. I get that Odo has trouble with his emotions, but he doesn't have someone here to really teach him anything, and, and yeah, there is Quark, and we can talk about Quark's relationship with Odo here in a moment. But Odo can't express it, and Quark really can't express it very well either. And therefore, Odo isolates himself, and and we see the 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 tragedy of his isolation over and over and over again. I felt like there was an opportunity here to teach Odo that feelings can come and go, and that's all right. They're no less valid but they might change over time. That's that's all right. And there is also an opportunity here to teach Odo that he is not owed reciprocal feelings from anyone. It hurts, but you can still manage. You, you can still be okay. You can still be strong and be yourself and be friends, even if it smarts, even if you have that pain. So you, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost mm-hmm. like... It's almost like Odo is this child. He, he's like the, the teenager with his first crush and trying to navigate these very difficult feelings. But I don't know if Quark is necessarily the best person to give him advice here. Or maybe he is. Maybe Quark is the best person to give him advice. I don't know. I think that in this type of softball episode, because I've been looking for a softball episode, something that wasn't as heavy as, say... You know, the visitor yeah. or rejoined, or yeah. you know, even with Homefronter or uh, Paradise Lost that we just covered. There is a certain truth to what you're saying about uh, being able to relate to to what Odo is going through, because I think that for for anyone that has experienced that, uh, I guess that third wheel feeling mm. that mm-hmm. you felt, especially getting friend zoned so hard the way that Odo is in this episode, yeah. I mean, there there is something very real about that. But I also think that there's something that's also even at bigger play here is that it's interfering with the identity that he's created that he is literally like unparalleled for on the station. And that is his job at security, his yeah. job at being the guy, like Quark said, who always gets his man. And once he failed in that part of his of his job overall to protect the the minister that i think hurts him just as much as kira's unrequited love in a way because now he lost on both counts he lost he didn't get the girl and he he tarnished his literally his 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 platinum reputation you know his sterling reputation yeah. of being this guy i mean i mean shikar even said like you're the guy you're the changeling you're the guy that you know he always gets his man and you're the, you're the best at what you do, and I'm glad that if, if Kira says that she trusts you with her life, I trust you with my life. That's Odo. Yeah. And he, in a way, took that away from himself because of what's happening to him. He let his personal 
feelings get in the way of his professional obligations. And he was blindsided by that because he didn't know how to process that. He took a risk in letting his emotions become a little bit more of, uh, of his compass. And then what happened? He almost lost it all. He almost lost the ambassador, Kira, and himself in that turbolift accident because he took his eye off the ball yeah. for him. And that's, that's, a, that's a big deal to him. He, he lost a step when it comes to maybe the way that Kira felt about him, but he definitely lost a step in the way that Cisco regards him in terms of his job performance. And I'm not sure what is worse at, the, you know, at, that, at that stage in Odo's career or his personal growth. Well, and maybe that's what helps to justify his violent outburst. Uh, and I don't mean you know, violence against somebody, but his, his physical outburst when he got back to his quarters. He, he reached the breaking point because emotionally and personally, he is compromised professionally. This is the only time we've seen him fail at all. And he does not have the capacity to deal with that. He's never had to deal with that before. Odo has been hurt. Odo has gone through a lot learning about himself and who he is and where he comes from. But he's never had anything quite like this. So to to sort of dump it all on him in the matter of the few days that this episode takes place, it it is relatable that he just loses it. He just breaks and I, I wonder for somebody who is as emotionally young as he is, how, how does he deal with it the next time? How, how does he deal with this going forward and uh, and going on? I, mean, I like the way that they handled his ability to express his feelings in that episode where Kara was being crushed by the silicon yeah. rock. Yeah prison that that was actually a changeling yeah yeah that was actually a changeling i know that that was kind of like the MacGuffin and the and the uh the bait and switch but i felt that that worked a little bit more and and maybe maybe it's because we keep going back to the whole uh klingon insertion of that plot line and kind of it the upheaval of that with uh with season four but i felt like there wasn't enough in odo's storyline throughout this season so far that felt like his outbursts and his jadedness towards uh, Shakar's and Kira's relationship and his jealousy was earned to the point where he would become mm. so destructive, so self-destructive. Yeah. All of a sudden, it just felt like it comes out of nowhere. And I know that they're, they're fast-tracking his development in a way through this episode, but it just feels like everything in this episode about him is just forced. Like, his forced jealousy... Uh, his his forced snap decision on certain things, his forced failure in the turbo lift, his forced violent outburst, it just never really seems organic or genuine, or at least there weren't anything that was leading you to this moment. Well, I don't know if you felt that way or not. not. Yeah, not, not really. I mean, I, I think I kept looking at this as like, this is, this isn't, Odo, who is the you know the the star pupil who gets everything right, who professionally always finishes the job. This is the thirteen-year-old. This is the kid who is dealing with adolescent emotions and trying to navigate who he is personally. You know uh, that this was, like I said earlier, this is the first crush that has now turned into the first heartbreak and he is totally unequipped to deal with those emotions and doesn't have the support system around him to help him deal with those emotions. Like I thought it was very clever what they did with uh, Quark to, to have this conversation where I'm being your friend, but never ever will we admit that I'm being your friend. It, it was yep. clever, but it, it, it's honestly, it's the only thing that he's got. He will never have this conversation with anybody else on DS9. He, mm-hmm. he will never talk about his feelings with anybody else on DS9. And that has to be torture to be able to walk around with this and not be able to talk about it. When Quark brings it up, he immediately shuts him down, which is true to character for Odo. But the longer and longer and longer that stuff sits and and boils in him, It'll have to come out somewhere somehow. 
you know, we were almost like with this uh, uh, thing with data, where for seven years on TNG, data is, I don't have emotions, I don't have emotions, I don't have emotions, but you do. They're just sort of downplayed or they're suppressed or they express themselves in rather quirky ways. Odo is one, well, I'm not a humanoid, I don't have feelings, I don't, yeah, we know he doesn't taste or eat things, but for all these times that he's saying, I don't do this, I don't do this, I do you actually have this emotional life. You just haven't figured out what to do with it yet. I think more than anybody, uh, he needs a ship's counselor. He really, yeah. he needs he needs a Deanna Troy. I kind of like how they did, you know, kind of write that whole relationship with with Quark and Odo in this episode because Quark, you're right, Quark would never admit that he's being sympathetic, especially to Odo. But at the same time, though, I think that he respects Odo enough to say, "Hey, you know what?" snap out of it. Yeah. He literally is kind of like that cold, wet washcloth and just slap right across the face. Hey, hey look, you're making me lose money, man. But <laughs> in the end, without saying so, he's like, you know, you're in pain. I get it. I've been there. And I'll, I'll give you my advice for whatever it's worth, but I'm going to couch it in the whole aspect of me being a Ferengi. Like, whatever you're doing is hurting me because you're hurting my profits. Therefore, it hurts me. But I actually think that Quark feels in some way sympathetic towards Odo in his own way. Uh, and I just don't, I, I don't know. It's, um, I, I almost felt like his relationship with, with Odo in this episode was kind of like Worf's relationship with Odo in the beginning where mm. you're, you're, you're getting like these little kind of bromancy moments, right? Yeah. yeah. And they work on so many very genuine levels to the characters because they're not breaking their characters to understand each other. They're using the consistency of their characters to connect to each other. And I, I find that, that that's a smart way of writing characters and not letting them be, let, allowing them to be vulnerable without making them vulnerable. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I see, but, it, you know, part of me questions, though, it, is that really a healthy thing for, for any of them? Like, it, it, it is... It is almost adorable, this little bit of bromance. I mean, we talk about that scene with Worf and Odo where they're really bonding. They're really connect- like, oh, oh, you, you're obsessed and meticulous. I am too. Wow. We, mm-hmm. we really connect here. We, you, you hate it when people come over? Oh, I do too. And they're, they, it's almost they, they love how much each other is a curmudgeon, <laughs> is, is an antisocial, miserable person to be around. And, and at the same time, though, you know, if there is not an emotional outlet for either of them, this, I, it, it can go bad. You know, Worf, at the very least, has a child who he ignores and never talks about. He, he has had romances that he never talks about. He, he has had a rather full life. Uh, even though Worf definitely has his own issues. Odo, I, I, I care for Odo here because he is like that hurt teenager who feels like he doesn't have anywhere to go. And then what will he do? Well, he's just going to pour himself back into his job because that's what Quark says to do. Oh, just just get out there and, and do your job. And which I, sometimes that is the right advice. It's not the only advice to have, though. True. And, and I think that's actually a really good point because sometimes when people get hurt in relationships or when things go badly in their lives, like the one thing that they say is like, you know, I'm just going to pour myself back into my job mm-hmm. because yep. it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty valid distraction. It's like, hey, you know what? At least I was good at that. And in, in Odo's case, I was the best at it because my job gave me purpose. It gave me a sense of order. It allowed me to control my entire environment. My world was at my at my organizational fingertips, I was in complete command of that, and at least I can count on that. Right. And when yeah. he failed in the turbo lift, he knew that, well, now that I took that away from myself, that will never happen again, regardless of my future feelings for Kira. I know that I will keep my professionalism intact because maybe he's like, you know what? Maybe he's fooling himself. And it's like, well, at least that's more important to me than any one person or even my own feelings is my reputation. Yeah. And some people do believe that. Yeah. Maybe Odo will come out of all of this being just ducky. I mean, literally. 
He is Ducky. The only thing he was missing is a dance number in a record store while lip-syncing Try a Little Tenderness. Well, here we are at the end of Crossfire. You want to do the theme again, Norman? Crossfire. We're going to have to pay somebody every time we do that, I'm sure. It'll come back to haunt us. Here we are at the end of Crossfire for DS9. And uh, before we get into the morals, meanings, messages, as we do, in this uh, light, you might even say a softball episode, as I believe you did, uh, just sort of a a light look at the emotional journey that Odo is on. (laughs) Let's see how we felt about the production. Norman, does the episode hold up? Well, I think from a production standpoint, and the, the quality of the episode is there for sure. I, I really enjoyed, again, seeing everyone in their dressed uniforms and even seeing the the variant version of, of Kira's dress uniform. And I even really enjoyed, like, the quality of destruction that happened in Odo's quarters. I mean, you mm. know, shattering the... The calm panel, I mean, that was, I mean, that has to be well produced so that Rene doesn't hurt himself or didn't hurt himself and smashing his, you know, monkey bar set and things of that nature. So, I mean, obviously there weren't yeah. a, a lot of, of very technical scenes that needed explosions and ships and things of that nature. And we even recycled one scene, which was cost savings for the episode. So yeah. technically the episode does hold up because there's nothing technically wrong with the episode. And in very many ways, I think that the sentiment of the episode holds up because I think that for a great deal of us out there, we have all been the on the receiving end and maybe, you know, unbeknownst to us, maybe the cause of what happens in these romantic triangles, if you will, where we're either the cause of an unrequited love or the recipient of or lack thereof of that love. And that's that's something that's um, you know that's the timeless and universal theme. I mean, you can go back to I mean, heck, most of Shakespeare's work is about unrequited love or uh, right. the cuckolded and uh, embarrassed lover or you know somebody who yeah. is uh, has been usurped, someone whose affections have been usurped by somebody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, there there are there are tried and true stories about, like you said, like the high school kid who you know he's in love with. Let's face it, any John Hughes movie. Come yeah. on. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Or, right. Or um, something like, you know, Patrick Dempsey in Can't Buy Me Love. You know, he was the yeah. nerd. You know, he, he fell in love with the hot, popular girl. And what did he do? Spent all of his life savings or summer savings on her to yeah. save her from humiliation. And what happened? You know, things happened. So that's very relatable. And I think, but uh, I agree with you that there was nowhere really for Odo to turn in order to help him mature through the process. He just understood it for what it was, took some advice from arguably not the best bartender advice in the world in Quark, and then we don't really see where it goes from there. Actually, the only relationship really that was kind of resolved at the end of this episode was something between him and Quark. They just, they don't say it, but they do resolve something between the two of them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an odd episode for me because really does feel like they needed to find a stretch episode, a filler episode, uh, something to pad uh, 20. How many episodes are in this season? 24? I think it's 20, 24, 20, like 22 or 24. 26. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like in, in the era of 90s science fiction, when you're doing these long seasons, you're going to get episodes that feel like padding. And as good as the performances were and as the production was, this episode just felt like padding. It just felt like it wasn't really going anywhere, and it didn't really take any of my characters anywhere that couldn't be resolved somehow or somewhere else or done better somewhere else. So that's that's how I kind of felt about it. I don't think there was anything wrong with it. It's just after I watched this, I texted you and I said, well, okay. <laughs> Oil up the glove for a softball catch. It wasn't wasn't a stretch to really kind of dig into the morals, meanings, and messages of this one. Yeah, I I mean, I I kind of am landing the same place that you are, but uh, I'll put it a little bit differently. Um, I I don't think it's a softball in the respect that it's a light episode. It's not particularly lighthearted, but it is this romance story, this emotional story about Odo, um, 
that to me just kind of feels out of step. Um, so if I ask myself, does it hold up? I really have to ask, it, it depends on how you're looking at that question. Like you just said, it is produced well. I think the produ- the performances are good overall, but I kept asking myself if this story is necessary, at least falling where it does, when it does, and with the intensity that it does. We have already seen glimpses of Odo loving Kira, but I don't know if I needed this much of that this soon again. What purpose does that serve exactly? We kind of already did this in more subtle ways, so when you land this one, it feels a bit like more soap opera instead of just telling the story. Now, that said, there is something very truthful, very honest about this episode. I like my characters with an emotional core, that is sure, and I I give them all credit for this. Um, Again, I just wonder if this was the story to tell. You know, the highlights for me, I love that scene with Worf. I like the wrap-up with Quark because I like the relationship between Odo and Quark. I just still feel bad for Odo here because I don't know if this is going to be the most valuable thing for his emotional growth. But they've done a good job with the Quark and Odo friendship to let that grow without it being sentimental, without it just feeling fake. There are other things that I like in this episode, too. There is the B-plot. I like what we get out of Shakar. I like his line, I've been a soldier and I've been a politician. I'm beginning to think that being a soldier was easier. Mm-hmm. Yes. you know, th- This is not an episode about the politics of Bajor and the Federation, but that is a, a nice little insight that I think is worth saving here for the episode. But I don't think that that plot line that story necessarily is relevant to the morals, meanings, messages of this episode. So uh, what what indeed are the morals, meanings, messages? Or, or, are there? Or is it just an emotional story? What do you think? Well, I, I know that uh, this is probably a little bit more of a, a joke, but it's kind of like, it's kind of true. I mean, do office romances really work? I mean, that's essentially what this is going to turn into. They, they, right? they, 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 but you know what? Here's the, they, they do when they do. Sure, and and as Dan Savage says, every relationship fails until one doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? What what is the mark of a successful relationship? Uh, that you die together. Well, that that's one way to look at yeah. it. Or maybe a relationship ends, but it was also successful. So, I the, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I think in this case, it's uh, what what are they both willing to risk? Because I don't think. Well, obviously, Kira is. I'm not going to say that she's naive about his his feelings towards her. I think that in just in this case, she's so caught up and wrapped up with the, with the way that she feels about Shakar. Yeah, you know. So yeah. there's that. She's she's just so in the in the bloom of that relationship, that budding relationship, that she's not really paying attention to the the overtures that that Odo is paying her or yeah. has paid her uh, historically in the past, especially with their their meetings or how. I'm not even sure if she really kind of grasped what he was saying at the end where, you know, it's like I'm just sticking to the essentials, which means me, you know, yeah. my essentials. Right. Uh, but that, again, this is kind of uh, kind of tipping their hand towards uh, the possibility of uh, romantic relationships within our, our major cast. I mean, it's not yeah. like Julian and wasn't trying with Dax or has been trying <laughs> with Dax. Right. right. Or Garrick has been trying with Bashir. So, you know. Well, yeah. Or Bashir <laughs> and possibly O'Brien. You never know. Yeah. Hey, there you right? go. You know, we're progressive. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess uh, what I was trying to do is I was trying to find the morals and meanings and messages in the title itself, because in, mm. in many of the titles, uh, we can find kind of like the, the impetus, you know, the kernel of, of what they're trying to say. So crossfire is usually what happens when someone, uh, usually an innocent, is caught between the violence of two opposing forces. That's usually what a crossfire means. You know, you're getting caught in yeah. the crossfire. Right. So who is it that's being caught in the crossfire here? Is it, is it Odo's feelings that's being caught in the crossfire between his, his, his own personal agenda versus him allowing himself to be emotionally vulnerable? Is it Kira that's being caught in the crossfire between these, these two men, between Shikar's uh, interest in her and in Odo's infatuation? What is it? Like, why do they use this title? 
I personally think, John, and, and you said this yeah. uh, earlier on, that um, I think that probably the most important scene in this episode is when Odo made that mistake and they went into free fall. I think free fall would have been a great title for this episode yes because that's exactly yes. what oda was doing he was literally falling without a net and he didn't know what to do yeah and uh, so yeah. and also crossfire you're you're also kind of assuming that there's going to be some action in this yeah. episode you yeah know? um yeah. just to kind of you know create a, a literal turn on the title as opposed to the more of an esoteric turn to the title yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, right so i think that I don't know. I, I just—I really don't kind of just land on anything that makes me say, you know what, this episode really spoke to me and the title really paid off. Uh, the, the one thing I can say is that I think that Quark and Odo really made some fantastic strides. And I just love the fact that, you know, Quark is Quark's just a salesman through and through, whether he's selling Odo on his own, his, his own self-help or if he's just selling it because in the end, Quark is just helping himself, which is very true to his character. So I, I, I just, I don't know. That, that was at least salvageable for me yeah. uh, by the end. I, I, mean, I think right at the top of that, you, you brought up this interesting question is, you know, do office romances work? And, and I'd even complicate that by saying, what, what, what is that saying that, you know, work is just high school with adults? You know, totally, dude. We, yeah, yeah. We, we we get to this point where we think, oh, well, all this petty stuff that uh, that's going on, and the, the sort of the emotional turmoil and the, the feelings that all changes when I get out of school and I get into the adult world and I'm working and I'm with professionals. No, no, all that stuff is still there. It's just on a different scale, and hopefully, you have somewhat better tools to navigate that with. Again, Odo is the kid. Odo is navigating that, but he's having to do it without having gone through the adolescence and growth into adulthood that everybody else around him has. And I I feel sorry for him because I also relate to him. Like you said, he is us at a younger age, and hopefully at that younger age we had a better system in place to deal with those difficult tumultuous and often heartbreaking moments and, and emotions. So that that's the exploration here for me. You know, the, the B-plot was interesting, but it really was just kind of thrown away. Uh, if we're leaving a thread here to follow later, great. I, I think the failing in this episode is just simply that, you know, we started to explore this with Odo before, then we kind of turned it into a soap opera. I hope it doesn't continue like a soap opera uh, because there is actually more depth to uh, to explore there with him. Well, both of those characters, really. I mean, you know, Kira, mm-hmm. I didn't really see like also where it added to her character in this sense. You know, maybe it'll pay off later. I don't know because I haven't seen anything further than this episode in real time. So I don't know like where this is going to take her, but it, it just didn't feel like this is where her character would go at this point in time. I don't know. I mean, it's just, like I said, you know, it just everything felt very, I don't know, just kind of out of place for me, just, just slightly off of a couple degrees of center. I, I, I think, that, let's go back and redo this entire episode, because I, I think, <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> I, I, but I, I think that you're hitting on something that bothered me that then I didn't write down in a really fleshed out way. And, and that's really it. The problem here is the treatment of Kira. Kira is just sort of the, she is the red herring. She she is the MacGuffin, essentially. And the red herring was the wrong word for that. She is the MacGuffin here to tell this story. We had her go through her thing with Beryl, mm-hmm. right? We had her, we had the fake Kira changeling uh, have that moment with Odo. We just keep sort of using Kira as this reason to explore Odo or other characters, and it's a misuse of Kira. I was mm-hmm. more interested in Kira going back and meeting Shakar and navigating this very difficult political and former terrorist situation on Bajor. I'm more interested in Kira when we're exploring the very complicated 
feelings that she's got that arrive from now having to work with people who were her former occupiers and enemies, you know, right. yeah. this, this sort of cheapens the Kira character and she's far too interesting to be cheapened that way. Now that does not mean that I don't think you can have romantic subplots. It doesn't mean that, that I, I don't want to also see our characters emotional lives, but the way it happened here, it was very soap opera and it, doesn't serve her yes absolutely uh so that that ultimately is a huge problem with this so yeah go back to the beginning we'll redo that (laughs) that'll be our show or you could just do the credits and we're out of here well i have one final thought one final thought and i think that this this might be an interesting notion for for listeners but what if quark kind of tied this all up at the end when he and he goes to kira and she says you know major how do you mend the broken heart of a person who usually lives in a gelatinous state right right or something to that effect yes and he just kind of like walks off or he'll okay i got it i got it okay 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 so um, so Odo goes off after he says, you know, okay, thanks Quark for, you know, your advice. <clears throat> thanks Quark for your advice. I just, uh, fixed to reinforce the floors. Quark is beside himself, turns over, turns around, drops something, breaks like a rack to Gino he's going to bring to Kira. Kira and Burrell come out of the hollow suite. They're just basking in the glory of his practicing his speech for, uh, you know, his big meeting. And then all of a sudden she asks Quark what he's doing. It's like, I'm breaking. I goes. I'm, I'm cleaning up a couple broken pieces here. You know what, Major? You got me to thinking. If these pieces were, say, a changeling, and they were broken, how do you fix a broken changeling? The end. Boom. Done. Add Norman Lau to the writer credits for Deep Space Nine Crossfire. <laughs> and with that, Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Mission Log is part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Please visit us at podcast.roddenberry.com and enjoy our entire family of podcasts, including Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, Your Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam! Shabam! If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Return to Grace. How can you mend a broken heart? Send recommendations and a new bucket to Odo, care of Deep Space Nine, Bajoran System. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10 year, 100,000 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.